Open your Bible to Isaiah 23, navigate on your device, however you'd like to follow along. Always encourage you to follow along because uh, it gives the Lord an opportunity to speak to you from his word directly. We're going to look at that entire chapter this morning. The topic there, the city of Tyre comes under God's judgment, not once, but several times in its history. The title of the message, Goodness Gracious, the Great Falls of Tyre. Father, this morning we enter into your presence with gladness, with joy, things that are not dependent upon the world, Lord, or our happenings or our circumstances, but spiritual things that depend on our relationship with you. Lord, so that if we're discouraged, if we're downhearted, if we're depressed, if we're disinterested, if there's something going on in our lives, Lord, that we would click on the joy, Lord, knowing that you loved us from the foundation of the world, you saved us, Lord, given us a secure home in heaven. And Lord, though we suffer now, we'll reign later. This word written uh, centuries ago, Lord, obviously directly to Tyre and about the politics of that day, and yet your word is powerful and alive and never returns void. Uh, Lord, we want to hear from you directly through it today as well. We all agree, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Emperor Palpatine is the embodiment of the man behind the man. His influence extended far beyond what the public and even the Jedi had anticipated. Through a careful planning, manipulation, and deep understanding of the Force, he orchestrated his rise to power, ultimately becoming the tyrannical ruler of the galaxy. Another example of a man behind the man, a comedic one, would be the Wizard of Oz. Remember the famous line, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. We can't fully appreciate what Isaiah has to say about the city of Tyre unless we acknowledge the man behind the man, except in this case, the man wasn't a man, it was Satan. The prophet Ezekiel describes Tyre this way. He says, the prince of Tyre, you say I am God, I sit in the seat of gods in the midst of the seas. Yet you are a man and not a God, though you set your heart as the heart of a God, but you shall be a man and not a God in the hand of him who slays you. Now, historians tell us that uh, the king of Tyre was Ithbaal III, but here Ezekiel says, you're, you're the king from an earthly sense, but you're really just a prince under the true king. And then he tells us, uh, describing the king of Tyre, saying things like, thus saith the Lord God, you were the seal of perfection full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. You were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. Well, by process of elimination, who was in the garden of Eden? Adam, Eve, God, and Satan. And so the, Ezekiel says, there's a, a, a human ruler right now in Tyre. It's Ithbaal III, but he's really more of a prince to Satan who is the king. He is the ruler of the nations of the world, of the god of this earth. And at this time, he lived in Tyre. He apparently moves a lot because after the fall of Tyre, we read that he's in Pergamum in the New Testament book of the Revelation. And so it's kind of creepy to think that, the, you know, Satan has a, a headquarters different places. And uh, we would always go for the, you know, the worst place on earth, the most sinful place. But he was in Tyre, which was a, like a Wall Street, uh, basically. And then 
Pergamum was a, a nothing place. And so very interesting, these strategies as you try and peel behind the scenes of what's going on in the unseen realm. Commentator Andrew Davis writes this. He says, Isaiah, spe uh, excuse me, Isaiah speaks an oracle against the wealthy, powerful trading city of Tyre, a symbol for the worldly lust for material things that still dominates our world. And so our own worldly lust for material things is under the proverbial microscope as we go through these. And so let's listen for the Lord to speak to us about that and whatever else he would like to share with us. I'm going to organize my comments around two points. Number one, the wealth Satan offers you is a harlot. And number two, the wealth Jesus gives you is holiness. Take a look at uh, Satan's work in Tyre in verses 1 through 17. As we said, Satan is the devil behind the man in the city of Tyre. Though he's not named, he was the king of Tyre. It's interesting, all of the terrible things that happen in our world, uh, very rarely, if ever, does, let's say, the Washington Post or the New York Times or the Hanford Sentinel, they're all about equal in, in, in uh, reporting ability, uh, very little do they say, hey, uh, right now over here there's a satanically influenced uh, migrant camp or a satanically influenced uh, abductee, uh, you know, or se sexual trafficking or whatever. They don't recognize, say, his, his name isn't on these things, but we know behind the scenes that he is working, uh, as he always has, as a murderer, a liar, and uh, a thief to do anything he can to harm the human race and to uh, topple governments and, and to uh, get Christians to backslide, whatever he can do. And so he's everywhere doing that. And this is why we have such trouble, even as Christians, looking out at our world and thinking, what is going on? What is the reason for that? And so let's say you have a bunch of, you know, you have a lot of murders going on right now and a lot of slaughters, a lot of shootings of different things. Imagine on a smaller scale, you know, you watch these procedural cop shows or uh, true crime and stuff like that. And all of a sudden, there's a serial killer. Well, there's a certain benefit to finding out the behavioral analysis and what they're all about and, you know, did they have mommy issues or daddy issues or, you know, what makes a serial killer. But in the end, you finally say, oh, you know, we just need to stop this individual and there's no rhyme or reason really to what they're doing. Our whole world is like that. We look and say, oh, there's a, the worst serial killer of all time is the king and the god and the ruler of this world right now. You should expect all kinds of weird chaos everywhere. If Satan can kill people, he will. If he can get you to kill people, he will. And so that's what's going on. Not that people are worshiping Satan. It's not part of the church of Satan or anything like that. It's that he is behind the scenes influencing this, and we just don't want to see it. We don't see it. And so... We're going to see here in verses 1 and in verse 14, Isaiah repeat a phrase, wail, you ships of Tarshish. That bracketing, we might call it, alerts us the first 14 verses are about a single event, a particular fall of Tyre. The city was conquered by Assyria, by Babylon, and by Greece under Alexander the Great, other nations too. Which fall are we looking at? Well, Tyre, it says here, we're going to read, will recover after 70 years and then fall again. When Babylon count, uh, conquered Jerusalem, the prophet Jeremiah said that captivity would last 70 years. They conquered Tyre at approximately the same time they conquered Jerusalem. If you do a quick Google search, you'll see that the, there was an overlap in the years. And, and so 70 years later, Babylon would fall to the Medo-Persian Empire. So they conquered Judah, took a Jews captive, they conquered Tyre, 
And then within 70 years, uh, Babylon had fallen to the Medo-Persians. King Cyrus of Persia would issue a decree that the Jews were free to return to Jerusalem. And it makes sense that other conquered peoples would be free to return to their land as well. And so we see these first 14 verses as Tyre falling to the nation of Babylon in the 6th century B.C. Verse 1, the burden against Tyre, wail you ships of Tarshish, for it is laid waste so that there is no house, no harbor. From the land of Cyprus it is revealed to them. Not sure how the ships of Tarshish received their news of world events. Could be they encountered ships from uh, Tyre as they were going in the other direction. News is now instantaneous, right? We can watch on our phones live events anywhere on the earth. It's a kind of fulfillment of prophecy in a strange way, and here's what I mean. In the book of the Revelation, uh, we're introduced at the beginning of the Great Tribulation to two characters, uh, God's two witnesses, whether it's Moses and Elijah or Moses and Enoch or Enoch and Elijah, that's for another time, but two witnesses, they come back and they have incredible uh, power, they're indestructible for three and a half years sharing the gospel around the world, then the Antichrist is given power over them, he kills them, and he lays their bodies out in Jerusalem, out in the open, and he says, we're going to have a worldwide party because we've killed these men who brought us the good news of Jesus Christ. And after three days, the Bible says, their bodies rise from the dead and ascend into heaven, and everyone on earth sees it. How is that possible? What's well, only possible in the last 20 or 30 years with the communication systems that we have. And, but it is possible. And, you know, for years people would look at things like the Bible and say, oh, well, that has to be allegorical. That has to be metaphysical. It can't be literal. Uh, and, and they got all off track in prophecy because of it. It's literal. Not that every person in the world will be glued to their television set at that moment or their phone or whatever, but everybody would be able to see it. And most of the world will. Uh, very interesting. Now, Common, uh, more contemporary, we've seen the potential to spread disinformation and misinformation through technology with the ability to produce deep fakes that are impossible to debunk. Soon we won't be able to trust any news. Satan is a liar. What stronger lies than to create his own truth? Mass amounts of people can be mobilized by those technologies as well. It is a liar's paradise. One of the brothers came up to me uh, after first service and he said, hey, I was thinking when you were talking about that, in 2 Thessalonians 2, it talks about this great worldwide deception. And it, it you know, doesn't describe everything that it is, but you can certainly see how the entire world can be deceived about something. If Satan suddenly, who's super powerful, by the way, if he suddenly uh, you know, has the church taken out of the way and that restraint against him is missing, and he's starting to really empower these events of the, uh, of the Great Tribulation, can you see how he would design a lie that everyone on earth would believe? Whatever it is, whether that the church was taken by aliens or you know, whatever it would be. And, and people will, who are left behind will be deceived by those things. And technology certainly plays a role in that. Verse 2, Be still, you inhabitants of the coastland, you merchants of Sidon, whom those who cross the sea have filled. Commerce came to a sudden be stillness. COVID-19 gave us a taste for that, didn't it? As all of a sudden you'd go to the store and people were hoarding, you know, things. It's interesting to find the things that people hoard. Water and toilet paper. Uh, 
Luckily, the kids have moved out years ago, and I've got bedrooms full of these things. No, that's not true. But you go to the store, you know, it's like, I just want to go shopping, right? I, I just want to go shopping. And people are like in front of you with 10 carts of, uh, you know, toilet paper and stuff. And so, well, yes, I don't need toilet paper. But, uh, you know, it's a, it's a satanic thing in this sense. It causes people to what? Worry and be anxious. God says, don't worry about tomorrow. He said, be anxious for nothing. Even Christians worry and are anxious. And so we need to take a step back and say, hey, this is, we're not going to be sucked into this. Uh, just, let's just trust the Lord. On great waters, the grain of Shihor, the harvest of the river, which is the Nile, is her revenue. And she is a marketplace for the nations. Egypt depended entirely upon Tyre to carry her harvest to market. In general, it's not good to have a dependence on only one source. It makes it too volatile. And this, you know, when you, when you hear about nations having a dependence on things, like, I guess we could, I don't know enough about it to really speak to it fully, but, uh, you know, we were energy independent, now we're energy dependent again, is what I gather. And it's not good to be energy, because everybody says, really? We depend on energy from those people? Those are our enemies. And it's not a good thing, but Satan loves it. Because when you depend on something that you absolutely have to have, and it's in the hand of these people, you have to go to them and negotiate with them and deal with them. You end up dealing with people you don't really want to deal with and you shouldn't deal with because they have what you want. Verse 4, be ashamed, O Sidon, for the sea has spoken, the strength of the sea saying, I do not labor nor bring forth children, neither do I rear young men nor bring up virgins. Albert Barnes wrote about this saying, the sense is, my wealth and resources are gone, my commerce is annihilated, I cease to plant cities and colonies and to nourish and foster them as I once did. The idea of the whole verse is that the city which had been the mistress of the commercial world and distinguished for founding other cities and colonies was about to lose her importance and to cease to extend her colonies and her influence over other countries. Over this fact, Sidon, the mother and founder of Tyre herself, would be humbled and grieved that her daughter, so proud, so rich, so magnificent, was brought so low. Tyre is called here the strength of the sea on account of its situation, probably. Most of you who've studied uh, geography at length, which I'm sure a lot of you have done, geography books, you know, by the bedstand and all. Uh, Tyre was on the coast, but farther out, they also occupied an island fortress. Think... Uh, San Francisco and Alcatraz. It was that type of a situation. Uh, so her situation made it seemingly impossible to conquer them because when an army would come, they would retreat by boat to their uh, island fortress and the walls came right down to the sea and so there was really uh, impossible to do anything and so the, the army would conquer the city of Tyre on the coast uh, and then move on. Assyria and Babylon both did that uh, but the island remained untouched. Verse 5, when the report reaches Egypt, they also will be in agony at the report of Tyre. Cross over to Tarshish. Wail, you inhabitants of the coastland. Is this your joyous city whose antiquity is from ancient days, whose feet carried her far off to dwell? Now, even though they couldn't get to the coastal I or the, the island, the devastation of the city was pretty radical. Now, they had a proud heritage. They had a long history. And then suddenly it was too late to repent. No Gentile nation can look back at its heritage, no matter how godly, and think God will overlook their ongoing, unrepentant, contemporary sin. 
And so whether it's uh, uh, Great Britain, whether it's the United States, whoever it might be, you might be able to prove your godly heritage, and that would be great. But what's happening now? And, and if what's happening now is immoral, uh, then God says, I have to judge that. I have to deal with that. It was the custom in those days to chain together captives and lead them naked on foot to the land of their captors. Verse 8, who has taken this counsel against Tyre, the crowning city, whose merchants are princes and whose traders are the honorable of the earth? Tyre was admired by all the other nations of earth. Uh, they were treated like royalty. They were wined and dined. Who counseled Babylon to destroy this city? Well, the Lord of hosts, verse 9, has purposed it to bring on a dishonor, rather, to the pride of all glory, to bring into contempt all the honorable of the earth. The destruction of Tyre is traceable to the Lord. It was his doing. He owns it, we might say in today's vernacular. He chooses Gentile nations to carry out his will on earth. Instead of remaining humble, pointing to God and away from themselves, they say, look what we have built. And so Tyre fall, fell into that uh, situation where they had success. The entire world looked at them with admiration. Everybody wanted to be like Tyre. They were blessed with prosperity, and God uh, saw that it went to their head and their hearts, and they quit following him and listening to him, and so uh, he carried out his judgment against them. You know, success and being blessed, prosperity is a great threat, more so than buffeting and bankruptcy. Uh, not that I want to be buffeted and bankrupt, and certainly not at the same time, but uh, whenever God's people, the Jews, profited and were prosperous, and had plenty, they fell away from the Lord. They had no perceived need of the Lord. And that's why we need to get over this idea of, of uh, spending time with the Lord or opening my Bible or reading through my Bible in a year. All of that's good. But we have to have a relationship with the Lord that is, in one sense, not affected by prosperity. Uh, can I honestly say I spend as much time with the Lord, seeking the Lord, uh, when I'm prospering, as when I'm not. And many times in my life, or maybe in your life, you'd say, well, no, because you don't need the Lord at that time. It's not a matter of need. It's a matter of relationship. Maybe you have a, a, you know, a good friend, and uh, they, they call and say, hey, let's get together. He said, I don't need you right now. See you later. And then finally, you know, after a lot, of, then they call and say, hey, I, I need you. And said, well, that's too bad. <laughs> but anyway, you know what I mean? Uh, so it's not, it's not a matter of need. It's a matter of relationship with the Lord. And, and so... These people that fell away, they, they obviously didn't have much depth in their relationship with the Lord uh, because they quickly fell from it. Now, Ezekiel tells us this about Satan. He says, your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. Satan wanted to be like God. We would say that pride seeks glory. And in fact, they go hand in hand. Talked about this last week. All of us want recognition. We all want to be recognized and rewarded and have the credit. Decreasing so that Jesus can increase goes against pride. Satan exploits that. He may not offer us all the kingdoms of the world as he did Jesus, but he has a way of appealing to us right where it's sin. You say, hey, with the Lord you're obscure, you're overlooked, you're forgotten, but you know, come on into my side, come join with me, and I'll get you that raise, I'll get you that position. Just, you know, quit using God's methodologies and use some of the methodologies that I've uh, come up with. 
lying, cheating, you know, those kinds of things, and, and you'll get far. Uh, be in business with those who aren't Christians. Do whatever you need to, that kind of a thing. Verse 10, overflow through your land like the river, O daughter of Tarshish. There is no more strength. I'm sure you've followed the rising of the Tulare Lake. We want to, of course, keep that situation in prayer. If the levees break, then there's going to, uh, and prove insufficient, the water is going to flow. And that's the picture that it says here. Once the last defenses were breached, the inhabitants of coastal Tyre would pour forth from their city like an overflowing lake, trying to get away from the enemy. Those who did survive would take refuge in Tarshish, but the city would have no strength, meaning it was conquered. Verse 11, he stretched out his hand over the sea. He took the kingdoms of, uh, he shook the kingdoms. The Lord has given a commandment against Canaan to destroy its strongholds. This mention of God's hand reminded me of a Star Trek original series episode. Uh, I, I think it's uh, Who Will Cry for Adonis or something like that. But all of a sudden, there's a big green hand that comes out in, the, out in space, and they see that it's holding the Starship Enterprise, you know, in place. That's like this. And anyways, it's a visual, right? It's a, it's a, I'm using visuals now, right? So anyway... Um, if I was really hip, I'd be dressed like Captain Kirk and we'd have done the whole church like, like you know, Star Trek or something for this minor point I'm making. Uh, but anyway, the hand of God, it's a metaphor suggesting omnipotence, control by compassion as God sovereignly provides for his plan to move forward. What's the plan? At this point, it was to bring Jesus into the world, the Redeemer, the Messiah, the Savior, through the nation of Israel uh, and, and so that... Israel would be saved, and so that the nations of the world would hear this good news as well. And so God is constantly providing for this plan in the Old Testament. Isaiah mentions Canaan. They would be attacked at the same time, in that same period of time, as I said. Verse 12, and he said, you will rejoice no more, O you oppressed virgin daughter of Sidon. Arise, cross over to Cyprus, but there you will have no rest. This is a bitter analogy. The citizens of Tyre would be like a young virgin who had been assaulted. Many would seek safety in Cyprus, but they would have no rest. There are, at minimum, 100 million refugees in the world today. There are another 30 million abductees who are being trafficked. It is just the kind of suffering Satan loves to inflict on God's creation. Again, you'd be surprised. I don't have any in mind right now, but you read about human trafficking. You say, well, you know, you think, well, what are the great centers of human trafficking? And in many times, there are these weird, obscure cities in the United States that you've never even heard of, not big population centers and stuff. And again, as we scratch our heads and try to figure things out, you say, oh, oh yeah, wait a minute. Yeah, there was that other guy in the Garden of Eden who was filled with pride and now it wants to destroy and tear down everything that God does and only lives to murder people or to get them to be in a life that is worse than being killed. And so that's what's going on. And what's the solution? Jesus Christ and his salvation and his coming. Behold, the land of Chaldeans, verse 13, this people which was not, Assyria founded it for wild beasts of the desert. They set up its towers, they raised up its palaces, and they brought it to ruin. The name Babylon and Chaldea are often interchanged in the Bible. I would say the Chaldeans are the people of the kingdom of Babylon. Now, didn't Assyria come before Babylon and get conquered by Babylon? Because this verse seems to say the opposite. Well, for a while, Babylon was not a world power. And Assyria did conquer Babylon. And then later on, 
Babylon, God said, well, I'm, I'm done with Assyria now because they're just, they're out of control, wicked. And so he raises up Babylon to do his bidding with the Jews. And you need to remember that Isaiah was writing 150 years before any of this happened. And so this would be a mind blower in the sense that Isaiah would say, you would expect him to say, the Assyrians are going to come and do these things because Assyria was the world power. But he says, no, Babylon is coming. And how is that going to be? Well, because they are going to rise as the world power. He saw this. He foresaw this. And it was indeed Babylon who came. God's not arbitrary. He doesn't just use nations to discard them. He wants them to walk in his righteousness. And if they do not, Jeremiah 18, we've been quoting, says, then he has to judge them. Obey God, he'll bless you. Disobey God, and he has to bring the hammer down. I was uh, specu- We were just having fun speculating, and this next few minutes is pure speculation, not from the Bible, but I think it's interesting because how does God really use nations? So think World War II for a minute, right? Big thing out of World War II, terrible thing, uh, the attempted genocide of, of the Jewish race, right? Hitler was doing a pretty good job of killing all the Jews in the world, which is always a plan of the devils, right? Anytime you find people wanting to kill Jews, that's satanic. Because first, Satan wanted to keep Jesus from coming through the Jews. Now he wants to kill all the Jews so that when Jesus comes back, there won't be any left uh, for him to fulfill his promises. But back to World War II. So what is God, in a sense, God is sovereign, obviously. He doesn't need anything, but... What does God need in, in, the, in the way of a nation during World War II while Hitler is just sweeping through Europe, destroying everything? Well, he needs a powerful, wealthy nation, a patriotic nation that will rise to the occasion, join the war, and turn the war in the favor of the Allies. And well, who does that sound like? Well, that sounds like the United States of America. And that's exactly what happened. Even though we were reluctant, I believe, at first to enter the war, Roosevelt wasn't a real big fan of World War II at the beginning, Uh, but we did enter, and that was a turning point, and I'm here to tell you that God orchestrated all of that because of his people, the Jews. Now, I don't have the specifics, but you can see that, right? God uses the nations to foil the enemy and to have his will done, and that eventuated in the Jews going back to their land and all the other miraculous things that have happened since then. Wail, you ships of Tarshish, verse 14, for your strength is laid waste. Some of their ships must have been in the harbor. They were destroyed alongside those of Tyre. We call this collateral damage. You might be familiar with the line, you ride with outlaws, you die with outlaws. Uh, From a Christian point of view, it means be careful who you hang around with. Uh, Good company, uh, or bad morals corrupt good company. We're not we're a don't leave the world behind kind of thing. You know, you, you need to be in the world, not of the world. But just, you know, make sure your, your uh, companionship is with godly individuals uh, and, and keep the Lord at the center of it. Verse 15, at the end of 70 years, it will happen to Tyre as in the song of the harlot. Take a harp, go about the city, you forgotten harlot. Make sweet melodies, sing many songs that you may be remembered. And it shall be at the end of 70 years that the Lord will deal with Tyre. She will return to her hire and commit fornication with all the kingdoms of the world on the face of the earth. Tyre would have at least 70 years to contemplate the pride that had caused her downfall. 
and to repent of it. She would, however, we're told here, immediately return to all the trappings of her former life, prostituting herself for possessions and power. She would fall harder the next time. We mentioned Alexander the Great. He figured it out high on speed. He would raise the coastal city, and then he used its debris and built a causeway out to the island. And so if you're a what would be a Tyrite, a Tyrenian, what would you be if you're from Tyre? Tire head, uh, I don't know, what, what would you be? Retired? Anyway, so the citizens of Tyre, they're out in their stronghold, you know, saying, eh, this has happened before. And all of a sudden they see Greeks starting to put big blocks in the ocean in their direction. And after a while, somebody figures it out and says, he's building a causeway to the island. And he's going to get here. And when he does, we're stuck here. And that's exactly what happened uh, we're told that he either killed or took captive Tyre's 30,000 inhabitants. Uh, somebody in between services texted me and said that the land area and population of Tyre's uh, island was approximately the size of Lemoore. Uh, and so that gives you an idea of what's going on. Tyre would remove their treasures and valuables from the city to the island during a siege so they'd be protected. And the, their wealth was secure until it wasn't. I don't want to be the one to tell you, but financial security is an illusion. I don't, I'm not saying you shouldn't save up money or think about the future or those kinds of things. Obviously, you should. Uh, but at the same time, there's no real financial security, is there? I mean, some of you have thought you were going to have pensions for the rest of your life, and then all of a sudden you get a letter in the mail that says, oh, hey, guess what? You don't have a pension. We gave all our money to the mafia uh, or whatever, you know, or... And so, uh, or how many years, and maybe it'll happen, I don't want to be a doomsayer because I get Social Security now, but, uh, you know, how long have people been saying, ah, there's not going to be any Social Security when you're older, boy? I've been hearing that since the, the you know, since I was born. I think that my dad first, that's the first wisdom my dad gave me was that Social Security wouldn't be around when I died. But uh, anyway, uh, so, you know what I mean? I mean, so there is no such thing, ultimately. I fully expect one day to wake up in the morning and check my bank account and see that it's all been seized by the government, pending a review of my life, and then them telling me what I can and can't do. And we're headed in that direction, right? Wait until we all have electric cars. What a world that will be. First of all, there won't be any power to power them, and even when there is, they'll just shut them off if they want to. You realize they can't shut off your gasoline engine, but they can shut off your electric car, and they will. They just push, you know, and so they say, ah, oh, Gene Pensiero, they met during COVID. You don't, no electricity for you, you know, and, and it's, so there's no real security. There's only eternal security in Jesus Christ. Warning signage is important. I've discovered an Instagram account named OSHA, is it safe? Oh, man. <laughs> they just, they take video, uh, you know, it's from, uh, you know, surveillance cameras of the craziest things people do uh, that are unsafe, and I think some people die from them. Uh, everything about our world should bear the warning, touched by a fallen angel, beware. Because Satan is the god of this world, the ruler of this world, the prince of the power of the air. He has all these other rulers and dominions and powers that work with him, fallen angels and all. And so we need to be careful, keep our touch to the world very, very light. Uh, he wants to, we should expect every day an attempt on our lives. Do you ever think about like 
president of the United States or people like that, living with the idea. I mean, even though you're protected, you know, if, if history has taught us anything, if anything is true, is you can kill anyone, right? And, and you know, as far as I know, nobody wants to kill me. Uh, but uh, imagine if, if every day, every minute of every day, you thought somebody wanted to kill you. Well, they do. Satan, he wants to murder you, but he wants you to suffer first, and he wants to destroy your life. And so he asks your permission to do it, and you say, sure, I'll sin in this area. What could be, you know, what could happen? And he slowly, surely, by, slowly but surely, he destroys your life. And so you, he's, he wants to murder you. He'll lie to you all day long through other people and through circumstances, uh, and he'll rob you of all the joy of your salvation if you let him. We're commanded and encouraged and empowered to resist the devil, and what? He will flee from us. We resist him by holding our ground, wearing the armor of God. So if the devil seems to be gaining ground on you, check your armor. Maybe you forgot to use the sword of the Spirit and you're using human wisdom. Or maybe you left your breastplate of righteousness behind so that you could dabble in some sin. Uh, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Verse 18, the wealth Jesus gives you is holiness. Are you thinking what I'm thinking? That we need to read Psalm 45 verse 12. It says, the daughter of Tyre will come with a gift. The rich among the people will seek your favor. The psalm talks about Tyre being invited to a king's royal wedding and bringing a gift. Psalm 45 is quoted in the New Testament as a type of uh, Jesus, the king, and his bride, the church. And uh, so it's a very symbolic kind of a thing. And so Tyre is mentioned there in verse 12 as the daughter who comes with a gift the rich among the people who seek your favor. And so the nation of Tyre is going to come to Jesus and his bride. And so this is a millennial action. This takes place in the millennium. And so we know that Tyre will survive the tribulation and be one of the nations, a Gentile nation in the millennium. And it says here, her gain and her pay will be set apart for the Lord. Verse 18, it will not be treasured nor laid up for her gain will be for those who dwell before the Lord to eat sufficiently and for fine clothing. Uh, and this is about the human subjects of Tyre, the Tyrenes, uh, in the millennium. They will serve as caterers and tailors for the human subjects of the future kingdom of earth uh, and that wedding feast. But what's interesting to me, it says her gain and her pay will be set apart for the Lord, not to be treasured or laid up. This is the exact opposite of earthly Tyre that we've been reading about, right? They were this huge commercial center, wealthy beyond understanding. Everybody wanted to be like them, charging exorbitant interest, you know, making these crazy deals and all of that, all of that kind of thing. Saving, 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 building, building, building. And then the Lord says, yeah, in the millennium, they're not going to save anything. They're going to want to save anything. They want to give everything away. And so it's a wonderful example of the changed heart. Uh, just the opposite. It's, it's a Scrooge-type story, isn't it? First you have Ebenezer Scrooge. You won't even give a lump of coal for heat. And then at the end, he's like, hey, I, buy the turkey. Here's some trappings. This is a glorious thing. It has a complete turnaround. Uh, and that's what's going to happen to the Gentile believers in the nation of Tyre. Uh, it can't happen. This kind of thing can't happen in our current dispensation because Satan is not bound. And he sees to it that, you know, our, he continues to tempt us with the world and our flesh. But it is coming in the future. 
there are some things that we can do now, even though we can't uh, see this perfectly fulfilled. We can seek first the kingdom of God. We cannot worry about tomorrow. We can store up treasures in heaven, live to earn eternal rewards at the judgment seat of Christ, always build for God using the very best spiritual materials, see ourselves as stewards in his household on earth, give to his work regularly, sacrificially, and cheerfully, on and on and on. The New King James Version says she is set apart, but most versions say will be holy. Well, set apart is the definition of holy. When I say that you're holy, it means God has set you apart to do his work, not that you're perfect. And so uh, we can be holy uh, now by giving uh, in these ways. The final phrase is, for her gain will be for those who dwell before the Lord to eat sufficiently and for fine clothing. The word gain, according to Strong's Concordance, means profit from merchandise. And so again, Tyre, once rich from trade and commerce, will find true profit in giving everything to others, not gaining from them, not getting things, but giving things. The gain of giving, I guess, is what we could call it. And so let's close with just some random quotes about this kind of giving from certain saints that we would trust. Corey Ten Boom said, the measure of a life, after all, is not its duration, but its donation. Henry Drummond said, the most obvious lesson, a lesson rather, in Christ's teachings is that there is no happiness in having or getting anything, only in giving. Adrian Rogers, it's what you sow that multiplies, not what you keep in the barn. Randy Alcorn, God prospers me not to raise my standard of living, but to raise my standard of giving. George Mueller, God judges what we give by what we keep. Let's pray.